What's up, everybody? This is Noah Kinsey. And Jonesy. And you're listening to the UFR Podcast. Roll it. What is up? This is Upon Further Review, episode 45, 1975, first blockbuster, Jaws. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> so, Jaws. Ja- da, da. <laughs> da, da. John Williams, man. Iconic. Yes. Completely and utterly. He said this is what made his career. Yeah, that is true. And I feel that this his music made this movie. 100%. If I, so you heard the story about when he Steven Spielberg first heard it? He laughed and he goes, seriously, what did you make for this? Yeah, he's like, oh, that's cute. Oh, wait, that is, that's yeah. the music? Oh, shit, my bad. But, you know, even Steven Spielberg said it wouldn't be as popular without this the music. And it's true. It is really, really true. I mean, I... Th- for me, the first thing that comes out right away in this is the music alone. Yeah. Right? The, the, it's, it's so ominous. Well, what's really interesting to me is that uh, John Williams was so um, perceptive that to the, the their inability to have this like workable shark throughout this entire movie yeah. that he was just like, well, let's influence the mind of the. Um, audience and play the music whether we see it or not yeah right because then you're going to start conditioning the audience mm-hmm. to kind of have that sense of anxiety that the shark is somewhere and we don't even know where it's at yeah. right playing and that's is what's a, scary it's the fucking ocean the you only, don't know i don't go into the ocean very much mm, already no you know what i mean i don't like taking my shirt off in public i don't like getting <laughs> into the water because i feel like i'm basically a floating marshmallow <laughs> for a, for a shark to just be like I love s'mores. Yeah. <laughs> s'mores sounds like a good idea. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> chocolate dip s'mores. Because uh, <laughs> I shit myself. What are you doing in the ocean, yeah, Gary? Jesus. Um, but I love that he was able to kind of create this soundscape, right? And the and the use of um, the music when um, the excitement is rising, when we're not noticing, or just the absence of the music. Yeah. Right? You, yeah. The, there was a point of the movie where they were in the bay or like the little... Um, what do they call it? They they called it something where the the kids were dressed as the sharks. Well, they said it. They are you talking about the pond? A pond. That was what it Which was is called. Weird, because I'm like, that's not what a pond is, guys. I'm like, that's a pond. That's not. That's, that's not a pond. Mm-mm. That's just the other side of the ocean. That's almost a lagoon. Yeah, that's on like the other side it's of a the well-groomed lagoon. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but the you didn't have that crazy sense of anxiety when you see those particular fins because. There was no music to cue it, right? Which is interesting. I didn't notice it the first couple times I watched it. And for me, it's one of those really subtle things that John Williams was able to to pay attention to in the little details of the story. Like what we talked about when we talk about movies we like, it's purposeful. Yeah. It's (laughs) the music with... And you know what's a crazy thing to me um, is... 
how simple it is, mm-hmm. right? I think the thing that I love the most about this Jaws movie is the storyline is simple. Yeah. It is like the most simple fucking story I've ever seen for like a thriller. Oh, totally. Ask type of type of thing, right? It's not very convoluted. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the fucking shark did it, <laughs> right? Like we don't spoiler it's alert. Not, it's not a it's not a who done it. Are you, you know sure it I mean? wasn't a boat engine, Gary? My bad. Because this has happened before, <laughs> right? My bad. <laughs> um, but the overall story is just so simple, but yet it it still draws um, excitement mm-hmm. and anxiety. And uh, I think Steven Spielberg did a killer job building the tension and working through a lot of the um, quintessential elements that make a good thriller. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was, I'm, I love, I love this movie. Yeah. We're, we're kind of totally, you could tell we both love it because we just kind of really jumped do. into yeah, it. I really we can do. back up a little here. Okay. So talk about. It's 1975. Jaws comes out in very few theaters, less than a thousand theaters, quite a bit less than a thousand theaters, and it completely sells out. I don't know because I think maybe because the production, the deadlines, and the production schedule, and the shark not working, maybe they were worried that it was just a costly bomb, so uh, they wanted to be very conservative sense. about that makes it sense. because Steven Spielberg was very stressed out by this whole thing. Yeah, um, they were saying he was saying that. After he was done, like oh, he after Prince left. Well, he was saying that him and uh, Richard Dreyfus they went to their hotel, and he had a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. Like he was just like shaking and yeah. just like he was. Oh, he. I mean, this was he lived the on the that... island for seven months. Yeah, he didn't. He was the only one that didn't leave the island to go back home on the mm-hmm. weekends. He just stayed there. <laughs> I guess the the joke was that he didn't want to leave the island because he was afraid he was never going to come back. Yeah, like yeah. I think. Ugh, man, I it's such a sense of resilience to make a movie like this. Well, this was his proving ground, really. Yeah, yeah. This is what made him. Which um, again, to the AFI's, you know, bling and all there. Well, this was him, you know, he was getting a lot of pressure from pressure from uh the, the studio, a lot of notes, a lot of deadlines that right. had to be met even though things weren't really working right. very well and it was very stressful. And he just was like, kind of just keep my shit together until yeah. this is done. Just keep my keep shit it together. together. And even the final day of shooting, I guess they were going to like throw him into the water to kind of like, oh, it's the last day. And because of that, yeah. he wore his most expensive suit so they wouldn't do it. Uh, and the minute shooting got done, he got on the boat and he's like, see you guys later. And <laughs> he just manana. went out into the sunset. So that would be yeah. cathartic staying there for seven months. Jesus. But here's this movie. Like it's literally the first blockbuster, literally. It, until literally. until Star Wars came out two years later, this was it. This right. was the one that made all the money. And even though it wasn't, it was in less than a thousand theaters. It made so much money. Well, the crazy part too is this is the the seed of all the summer blockbuster movies that we see now. 100%. The tentpole movies. What is that? Twenty years? Yep. Thirty? No, no not twenty no, no. years. Like forty five years. Forty five years later, or some shit like that. My math is way off guys way off but that's okay it's for it's like 41 years since something it came like out. that right so i mean that's a that's crazy to think about that this particular movie this started it up set the tone for every blockbuster you see mm-hmm. during the summer summer blockbuster right this I was mean, like that's the birth the... of the blockbuster birth of the monster movie right when it, i mean as a, as opposed well, to the like reimagining of the monster yeah, movie i should say that but then the rebirth or the birth of a blockbuster mm-hmm. um because i'm I was, I was asked talking to my mom because my mom was young when she went to go so i think she was 
13 when mm-hmm. this movie came out and she was telling me that she like she wouldn't go in the water for, like the beaches were there was nobody at the beach yeah because of this fucking movie and i think that's so amazing in the power of cinema to be able to like make a movie that gets so many people because we live in a beach town you know you live in long beach i live in huntington beach you know we're close to the water you know i it's packed all the fucking time could you oh, just yeah. imagine it not being packed because Mm-mm. of a fucking movie yeah and this movie did that you know yeah, and it did it so effectively, and Spielberg had this psychological way of filming it, you know, where he had the camera at water level, so it felt like the audience was always treading water. Right. You know, and I think that, that was, was a really unique um, way to play with the visual language to give us, because I remember him talking about, he talked about the... Um, when you're in the water, you're not seeing it from like a <clears throat> a top view oh, totally. or anything like that. You are literally looking at it from the from the the horizon level. The everything's horizon obscured. Line. You even look down at the water, and where you're looking down, that's not where it actually is. Right. So that's I, that's actually really cool that he made that choice. Mm-hmm. I think he was saying that he shot like what 35 percent of the movie from that level, from that perspective, yeah, from the sea level, to give us that sense mm-hmm. of. Um, voyeurism if you will but i think yeah and i agree and i think also what it adds if you're piling on the music the music and kind of being there makes you feel uneasy like you're not in control right that you don't you're kind of at the mercy of the elements right you know because really the music is just awesome because you know something's not right yeah it's but very you don't ominous know what 100 percent, right and i think that adds a lot to it it makes it more psychological yeah and the fact that bruce wasn't working right um so this shark that they make they made three Mm -hmm. they made one for when you'd see it from the left one when you'd see it from the right and then one that's like skinned or something like that it's like half or some shit yeah something like Mm -hmm. that and then they made a bunch of like fins and Uh all that type of stuff but they didn't whoever made it didn't test it for water so when they first put in the water it sunk to the bottom of the ocean they had to get Mm -hmm. divers to find it Uh, which uh, steven was probably like oh that had to feel like this is going to be the worst thing ever. Right. You just know he had the sinking feeling. But he nicknamed it. He nicknamed it Bruce Bruce after his lawyer, (laughs) which is great. That sounds pretty funny. Yeah. Even the boat that they were on that, the boat where the three men were on started to sink. Yeah. And you know, he yelled like to the, the the rescue boat saying like, save the actors (laughs) and the sound guys like, fuck that. Save the crew. Yeah. The sound guy would basically was saying, fuck the, fuck the actor, save the sound. Yeah. Yeah. And he's basically the, as the boat was sinking, he was holding the deck up, leaving it up, above, leaving his up head. above his head. Wow. I, you know, what's so funny is that <clears throat> this movie is, um, is such a Testament, right? We, we watched Fantasia last week, right? And it was like, my wife was saying, it was kind of a, you know, a, a Testament to, you know, giving everything all you got and not compromising, Right. Then you come at Jaws, which Murphy's Law all on everything. everything. I don't think I think that's why he had such a nervous breakdown. Well, and Shaw was drunk most of the time. Sure. You know, they had to redo the whole scene where he's talking about the USS Indianapolis because Mm -hmm. the other takes he thought he should be. His excuse was he should be drunk because the character was drunk Uh and none of the takes were usable. So he called up Steven that night or the next night. He's like, can I do it again? Like, I'm so sorry. And did that that one thing in one take. Yeah. Completely sober. But he Shaw and uh, 
Richard Dreyfus didn't get along. They like hated each other, which yeah, added which added to I the film. To the, yeah, added. Well, it, it added to the film, and then it also added tension. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what. I, yeah, that's why I feel like added it. But to your point, everything everything just went this. wrong. But you know the the resiliency of the crew mm. of Steven Spielberg with a movie like this. I uh, I got problem it. solving. Yeah. The 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 level of because. I think this is the thing that a lot of not a lot of people that don't make films really understand. Like all filmmaking is is problem solving. 100%. That's literally what it is because you can have an idea and you can make the best plan you possibly can for the day, but then you're going to go out there and you are basically going to uh, realize that the ocean moves and the boat's going <laughs> to move and then everybody's going to be out of sync all the time, yeah. right? And so then you got to readjust and recalculate and refigure things out. And I think he was, Steven Spielberg was saying that it took him like um, – they were there were there were three types of days. There was like good days where he got like five shots done. There was okay days where he got three to two shots done, and there were bad days where he got no shots done. Now thinking about you know getting five shots off for a day for a movie like that, that's little, right? Yeah. Like oh, you totally. want to do a page a day, yeah, regularly. If he's getting five shots off, he's probably doing what four eighths of a page mm-hmm. or some shit like that. Yeah. So it's like fuck, dude. Yeah. Dang girl. <laughs> um, so I can already, you know, already off the, off the bat, it was just, it just seemed like a film that just had so many hangups, mm-hmm. you know, but yet when you look at the final product and you don't know about any of that type of shit, it's actually a really good it's fucking a, movie. An amazing movie. You know, and that again, a testament to Steven Spielberg's ability to, to think on his feet, yeah. to create, um, tension appropriately you know i mean it kind of goes to show why he's this mega producer director today yeah you know it's just because he knows how to handle that shit he paid his dues and then some yeah well he did this was what his third film wasn't it something like that yeah yeah so he did duel which was kind of the same thing it was basically this monstrous monster truck type of you know movie where it was basically torturing (laughs) this group of people right same thing, like, but this was basically duel on the water, right? Ultimately, and that he kind of made, made a joke. <laughs> <laughs> he made a joke about it, I think, for quite some time. He didn't. He actually didn't want to do Jaws because he didn't want to be known as the monster man, the monster type of director. But Robert Duvall convinced him to do it. Did he really? Yeah. And what did Robert Duvall say? Hell no, they're just friends. But he's like, you should get on set and do that movie. And he was going to offer him the Shaw part, or no, he was going to offer him the uh, yeah. Shaw. So I I need to back up. So the not Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw's the policeman. Quint. No. Quint is uh Robert Shaw. Is it? Yeah. Okay, so I am right. Okay, so um Brody. Brody, that's Bro- the so, officer. So Chief Brody. So uh Spielberg wanted Duval to play the Brody part. He wanted a bunch of people to play, and, <laughs> to play that yeah, part. The majority and, of them told him no. And Duval actually wanted to play Shaw's part. Uh-huh. And he's like, you're too young. Mm. Or else Duval would have been in it. Yeah. Would have been interesting. That would have been kind of interesting. A young Duval. Because that would be right after the first Godfather, wouldn't it? Right. Which he still looks old in that movie, too. Yeah. Which is funny to me. Yeah. I feel like. But they both kind of do. Yeah, that's true. You know, the the Brody they chose kind of guy that uh, The guy that plays um, Chief Brody, he saw him in uh, a play. Uh, and oh, then interesting. He, yeah, he saw him in a play, and then he ended up meeting up with him at like a 
dinner soiree party schmoozer doozers and then had a couple of conversations Networking. yeah basically Ta -ta -da. um but yeah i mean it's so funny because you know you when you when you watch behind the scenes and you start looking at a movie like this and kind of looking at the history you know a lot of times you know, you, you see the challenges, but this movie was riddled with so many that I feel like all the behind the scenes was like that fucking shark. That yeah. fucking thing did not work. That fucking this, that, 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 yada, 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 you know, um, which is kind of funny to think about, right? Like this is one of those happy things that people don't pay attention to where because that shark didn't work, because if you gave it a few more frames, you'd make it feel like it was more fake than it really was. Yeah. And all that bullshit. But and it was scarier. Like the fact that you saw it right. so little and when you did, it was so deadly. Right. And that was a big testament to his, uh, Verna Fields, who was his editor. Um, she basically told him like, we need to show less of the shark. It's more ominous that way, you mm -hmm. know, like build up the tension, let the people in their minds kind of, um, build up what they feel that monster looks like. Right. Right now. I feel like, you know, you watch a horror movie or a monster movie and they show the monster show everything so soon you know um uh, we were talking with a couple a couple of people that were on the podcast even um and they were saying like some of the horror movies that they just saw like lights out like they showed the monster right away i'm like in a movie like lights out don't show the fucking monster no. right away because as soon as we have that that's your payoff yeah that's the thing that keeps everybody scared and on their seats the whole time we don't know what it looks yep. like and that's the anticlimactic point of insidious for me where oh, you see the whole it? thing and it's like oh son of a bitch i like i mean it was better when you saw very little because your imagination can mess with you way more than Anything, anything else, else right. than and actually right. seeing it. Well, that's the beauty of being a filmmaker, right? Like everybody in that movie is having a different movie play in their head mm -hmm. because they all see a different monster. Sure. And as soon as you show them that monster, now they're all collectively on the same page, mm -hmm. right? But what if you never showed that monster? I mean, you didn't see Jaws, like the actual shark himself until like 48 minutes into the actual yeah. movie out of a two hour flick. I mean, that's pretty tight and you don't even see it that much. You just see it's like ghostly shape underneath yep. the water. Water, right the first time you actually fully get to see that thing is when brody's feeding the chum to the ocean and then he kind of just comes out of nowhere and that was the first big reaction mm. and it's such a great place to do it at and not pay it you know not give us that opportunity to see it so early on because you could have done it that way yeah you know but eh, why why do it that way um a couple of things for me that I really love about the movie itself was that you have your principal characters that are so great. The The characters, in my opinion, I know that there were some story issues going into it because it was based off of a book. Peter Benchley's book. Right. And I guess there was um, there was like a, a plot line with like a love interest between um, Brody's wife and Hooper um, at some point. Really? Yeah. But he cut all that stuff out. Richard Dreyfuss's character? Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine <laughs> Richard Dreyfus getting freaky. Oh, come on, Mr. Holland's opus. Oh no. Um, but yeah, so you know, he uh Steven Spielberg felt like it kind of detracted so much from the actual story. Yeah, which that's I not think the point. It's really not. I mean, it's already a two hour fucking flick. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine adding in a fucking B story into that whole entire thing? Like no thank y'all. Um, but I love all the characters. You know, you have you you have bro Chief Brody, who right out of the gate is a the chief of police he's also kind of a pardon the pun fish out of water very much so a fish out he's of water very much a city boy right and Probably coming here to give his family a country his ultimate life flaw 
He can't swim. He can't swim. Or And he hates the water. Yeah, he doesn't like the right? water. There was an interesting beat for me in the story with him. They were There was a really great scene where you have Quint and Hooper and Brody, and they're all sharing scars. I love that. I love when Brody lifts his up to show his appendix scar and kind of decides to now, not bring it up. My question, was it a, was an appendix? It looked like a bullet hole to me. It was appendix scar because it was actually the actor's appendix, appendix scar. scar. Okay, because I when I watched it, I saw it so quickly. I was like, was it a... And my, my curiosity was because they are a fish out of water. Was that a way to kind of match why they were here? Right. Like, did he get shot or something like that? Maybe you can infer whatever the fuck you want. Maybe sure. it was an appendix. Maybe he did get shot. Maybe yeah. that's why he was trying to yeah. come to this vacation town. You know, to there's he came to a town where nothing happens ever yeah, I feel in like the he entire did it for his kids to give them some sort of outside of the Brooklyn life. Well, I, to be honest, I think he did it for himself. Yeah. You know, I really do. I think he did because there's there's hints that his wife was a little resentful that they were there. Yeah, because she was teasing about that's not how you say stuff here. You right. say cat. Uh-huh. Even though nobody ever sounded like sounded that in like the town a cat. whatsoever. I hung out with a, bo- uh, a bunch of Bostonians a couple weekends ago for a wedding, and uh, they were great, man. They're like I lo- and the, It's funny because they're all from Cape Cod. You know, they all... Uh, I was telling them, I'm like, so uh, yo, what up with the quarter to go park the car? And the lady was just like, you don't gotta, you don't gotta have that hot car. It's not car. <laughs> you know, it's just car. You know, it's so it's simple. You gotta let it roll off the mouth. It's car. Go put the quarter in. Go park the car. You don't gotta go car. So it was just kind of funny to me hearing her say, "You gotta park." You gotta like because I literally just hung out at a wedding with like ninety five of these Boston. That's amazing. It's a lot of fucking people. Um, but I love you know the 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 dynamics with with Brody right out of the mm-hmm. gate. Right, you have the mayor that is like he does have the you know though he has the facts in front of him, but he's worried about the town. Right, he yeah. was suspicious to me. Well, you know what's funny is because like, in the original book, there's a bunch of like mob stuff that goes on in the book yeah. that gets cut out, and I think. You can get the sense that those things are kind of interwoven throughout this particular story, but well, you don't almost need feel like much this shit of it. happened before, and he just kept it quiet because most sharks swim away. Right. So the fact is, like, you swim out at night, you kind of uh-huh. lose sight, and you get taken out by like a boat motor. And the one guy's like, it's happened before. I'm like, right. has it? Or was that also a shark? And you're just saying that because usually <laughs> sharks don't linger. Yeah, it's a boat motor. Wing, wing. <laughs> Even the the uh, mortician or whatever, the the coroner. Corner. The coroner changes his story. Why does he change his story? Because also, he got paid underneath the table. Exactly. Also, why did that couple feel pressured to go into the water just because the mayor said so, even though they had no desire to go in there with their kids? It's like, yeah. What blackmail material is this? Yeah, what type of material is so this? So I felt like there was some interesting hints of shady shit, and it didn't even... Totally. He didn't even change his tune until his kid was... Like right. at risk. Right. And I think what well, that's again, I, I think it's a good story beat only for me because you have you don't have to hit the nail so hard. Oh, totally. right. You don't have to play the exposition game. Because I mean, and it's I think it's, it's best interest to keep way. the tourism going. Like you right. said, this is where we make our money. Right. It, totally. And I think, you know, maybe there is undertones of mob bullshit going on or whatever. To be honest with you, it wouldn't surprise me because the way that they structured, totally. you know, those guys is well, you do those some parts. Mayor wants you to do something. You do something in this. Exactly. World. So for me, I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the very end of it, you know, the mayor is like he was he was in shock. You yeah. know, it was kind of a redeeming moment, if, in my totally. opinion, for that particular character, you know, um, being somebody that's just like, that was my kid. That was my kid in there. The one interesting beat for me that I thought 
Um, at first, when I was younger, I'm like, why is that bitch smacking his ass? When her son dies and she comes up and she like smacks him in the face, like, you knew. And it's more interesting to me that Brody, like, this is such a testament to Brody's character with just taking it. Yeah. Right. He took that. He took that smack. He took that responsibility. And you have the mayor. I'm curious. I would be I'd be more curious to see if, you know, maybe there was a shot to the mayor in that moment because it was his fault. Uh But yet Steven Spielberg did something that I thought was really wonderful. We stayed on her to really push the moment and the heartache of losing her son, even though it could have been prevented, mm-hmm. right? He could have cut back to Brody looking at her. Yeah. He could have cut to the mayor. We could have cut to the crowd, you know, the skeptic, you know, people watching it, you know, the spectacle of it all. No, but he stayed on the thing that was the most important in that scene. And yet you have Brody that stands there and he has such a really, really good line, right? Because the mayor basically says it's not your fault because he's taking responsibility yeah. after the fucking lady leaves. And yeah. all Brody says is, yeah, it was. Yeah. Because he knows, because it is his fault, yeah. and I think that is such he a knew what was right at the beginning moment for yeah. his character just to be like, "I'm taking responsibility for this. This will never happen again." Mm-hmm. Um, because I know better. Yeah, and yet I fucked up. Yeah, without ever saying any of that type of stuff. Yeah. and it's just such a good moment for me. I mm-hmm. think for for his character, it's really my buy in. To be honest with you, within that. Um, so I just I love the characters throughout this entire fucking movie. Uh, and that's what really keeps me engaged more than anything else. You know, you you the the shark is engaging to, right. you know, the tension and stuff. But I really did love the dialogue and the pacing and the characters that were here because, like, you kind of want them to win. You know, you get yeah. this salty fucking sea dog um, with a very rich past. Right. Um, you get you know, Quint. And the way you introduce Quint in the movie like this is absolutely beautiful, he right? Was Rocky's Mickey of the Sea, basically. Basically, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I right? thought of that it was very much that character. Like I could see that actor doing that. I mean, he was the Penguin. You know, he dealt with aquatic life, but like, <laughs> but no, I just I'm like that's kind of the whole like from the past generation who really kind of cut the bullshit. He knows what needs to be done, and all this right. pussyfooting around. And cutting corners and just closing your eyes and hoping it goes away isn't going to do anything. Right. Like, You're a bum, man. <laughs> I'll kill him for you. Yeah, that was interesting. It was so... His character is fascinating. Well, the things that was more interest that was fascinating to me about that guy's character was that you don't know much about his history. You... and. You could introduce him when all the all the people from out of town came in mm-hmm. because they're like the three thousand dollar fucking uh, you know reward for killing the shark and everybody yeah. kind of came out and blah 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 and they got a shark but it wasn't the actual shark it was right? a tiger shark stupid and- <laughs> <laughs> um where you have where you have Quint coming in like you could have introduced him going hunting for this type of shark or yeah. whatever now here's a town meeting. And he's he scratches that chalkboard as everybody's like, wah, 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 you know, gaggling like a bunch of geese. And you get introduced him in a very dynamic way. You get introduced to him in all of his. He's uh, the cut the bullshit character. He is yeah. right. He shuts everybody up. And when he's talking, people are listening. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool because though he is kind of a drunk and a curmudgeon, 
there's a sense of respect that people totally. around there had for him. Well, he's paid his dues in life. Right. And I think that's the reason why. And you don't even have to say any of that. No. Just there was a sense in that room that everybody just would listen to him. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, you get that really great scene in the um, on the actual boat when they go off on the second hack, you know, the second half of this fucking film where, you know, they're, sh- they're sharing scars and all this yeah. type of stuff, which I think was a great scene, by the way. Oh, it was a bonding scene. It, it was really great. Was. And it was so human. It's like, you're right. going to have those moments and you're going to, you're out there. You're out two people who don't like each other. You know, one of them's the intellectual, one of them's the blue collar. I get it done with my hands guy. Right. How do we bring these guys together to solve the problem? Right. Which is a great study in conflict. hundred percent. Right. And then you have these two people that don't mind being out on the water where you have the fish out of water learning by, you know, learning what he needs to know to survive this whole fucking thing. What's funny is he, you know, Brody got along with, is it Quentin? Yes. Or Quinn? Quinn. Quint. 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 Yeah. A Brody got along with Quint. Brody got along with Hooper. Right. Hooper? Hooper. Hooper. But yet in that scene, Brody's now the outsider and those guys are bonding. Right. Because they Which have was, the scars. They have the story. And he's like, well, I have this I on have my this, tummy. I scratch my belly on <laughs> the way out. Never mind. I didn't yeah. realize my one fingernail was too long no. this one time. And, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was fascinating. And one of the things that I love about this movie, and I mean, I want to talk character. I yeah. want that to, cause I think it, this, this movie, but along with the music lives and dies by the characters and by the sure. dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's fascinating about this versus, because I, I reached out on Twitter and I basically told people like, why does this movie make it seem like, shark movies are so effortless to be good. Why is this pretty much the only good one? And, you know, I mean, you got people saying, Oh, deep blue sea is good. I'm like, you mean the love story between LL Cool J and a bird where they're making (laughs) dumb killing machines into smart ones. Like Uh that's not a good movie. That's not a good movie. Well, the, pretty entertaining. The best part was when Samuel Jackson gave his big speech, and then right after he gets gobbled up. That's probably yeah, that's the best true. scene in any shark movie ever. ever. It is amazing. Agreed. I was like, oh, shit, when it happened. <laughs> that's what you get. But, <laughs> but to me, it's like it's about those relationships, and it's about the human characters. The shark is just the conflict of the story. It's really about a man, kind of a fish out of water, in a new setting with feeling kind of, and even to the mom saying like, you should have known better to me watching that. It was almost like saying like, look, you're an outsider. You can see this town for what it is. You could have seen what was going on. Cause you're not supposed to be caught up in this. You could put a stop to this, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of put that on him. So that kind of made him feel probably more of an outsider. Right. You know? Um, but I also loved a lot of movies, whether monster or disaster movies, a lot of those, when shit goes wrong, fucking everything goes falls to off shit. the handle. Yeah. And it goes off the handle. Or in this movie, when things went wrong, minor inconveniences or minor setbacks. It wasn't until the shark starts headbutting the boat. But it'd be like, you know, just the fishing line broke. Right. Or just the very little things that are very real mm-hmm. and would actually happen if you well, underestimate how big this freaking shark is. Right. Well, I think and what they I do really that. well is the in the screenwriting where they call it rising action. Mm-hmm. Right. And you with a movie like this, you start with those little things, right? You start with, uh, you know, skinny dipping, the skinny dipping. You start with the kid getting eaten in the Bay. You get, you know, the, the small shark attack that's happening in the pond, if you will. Then they go out to fucking find this thing. And 
the line breaks, the, the, this happens and these, and it's all rising action leading to, but yeah, it's so real. To it's the not like just moment. major shit happening. No, but I think that's the thing. Like, I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, but I find like watching movies now, there's like, people feel so, um, hell bent on having to make it so entertaining right away, yeah. right away where you're like, in some weird way, I feel like you're blowing your load quickly in, everything. <laughs> in, uh-huh. in the beginning of everything. Yeah. Um, where, you know, just let it breathe. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a great film that just let itself breathe in the very beginning. You know, all the big actiony stuff didn't happen until the climax. Almost, yeah, almost like the second half yeah. of the second act. You know what I mean? And so for me, the rising action is what really gives us that sense of anxiousness mm-hmm. throughout this film. And he does it in sequences, obviously yeah. like, and there's lulls in between. So right. it gives you time to reset. So then you're shocked again later instead right. of just getting numb to it. Right. Like, uh, you know, this is something that I've been noticing as we're watching these older movies. What tends to happen is you get these really great sequences of intensity. And then there's a moment of, um, reprieve. It's like right? hills and valleys. You need Literally. those for the you know variety and right. to reset kind of your feelings, so that way you're more of emotionally invested when shit goes wrong again. Again, right? Like um, you know, I my wife and I were watching horror movies this weekend because it's <laughs> it's funny because we have this uh, this agreement because I love horror movies and she does not like them as much as I do. <laughs> she enjoys the excitement of them, but yeah. she gets scared and she just doesn't like them, especially because I like the demon ghost ones and uh. she's like, I can't prove or disprove that stuff. <laughs> she can watch the thriller ones. She can watch like the serial killer ones. You know, she feels okay with those, but it's the ghostly ones. But when we were watching some of those this week, and this kind of fits into that horror thriller type of genre, there's obviously tropes that you kind of have to hit. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you look at it from a structural standpoint, you have um, what we're talking about with peaks and valleys, right? You have an intense moment, a, an intense sequence of, of excitement. Somebody dies, something major happens. And then there's, there's a moment of character development, right? Like yeah. right after the whole beach scenario and Brody doesn't know what the fuck to do. Right. There's a moment that he has with his son mm-hmm. in the kitchen Right. Yeah. And you get a very quick, you, you see that he's a good it dad. Wonderful. You get yeah. to see, you know, this cute kid, you know, copying his dad, wanting to be his dad or whatever. And it was a very sweet moment that allowed us to kind of get to know Brody from a different mm-hmm. point of view. Yeah. Um, and help bring back the character. It's like, how exactly. do you go from him feeling super down and super worthless? And then you see his son who looks up to him. Right. And it's like, all right, there's some validation that right. there's something to me worth. Yeah. I'm not a horrible fucking yeah. asshole. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and it is beautiful because there, that was, is what that scene really was in its intention. Mm-hmm. Right. You get that opportunity for him to, okay, <laughs> I'm a human being. This is, you know what I mean? This is what's important right now. I can, I can handle this. And I can have a good time mm-hmm. or I can at least have some sort of joy in the, <laughs> aftermath of this deadly shark. Yeah. Just enjoying those, the little, the little things. Yeah. And he, you know, Spielberg does this throughout this entire, this entire movie, right? He does this right after, uh, you know, they shoot the harpoon and the, the, the jugs go down and, um, or the barrels go down underwater and they lost him again. And then they have this really great moment, you know, where they're singing, uh, right. And you're having this really great moment in this connecting bonding scenario that's going down and then boom, Boom. it goes right back 
into boom, intensity. Boom. Right. And it's right back into it all over again. Um, <clears throat> and I love that, that he, he does it in different ways throughout mm-hmm. the entire movie, ultimately leading to the very end. Yeah. Where he blows up. Where he get blowed up. <laughs> Where the shark blows up. Where he blows up. Um. So, okay, we talked about Quint. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, well, the last thing I want to talk about, Quint, is I just, I love that you you see why he's so salty, especially when he gives that monologue about mm-hmm. the... USS Indianapolis, Indianapolis, which we'll talk about in a second after you thought. Um. But it made a lot of sense, right? Because we totally. don't, we see that he's like a crazed That's going to mess shark. you up. Uh, you know, killer, if you will, hunter, if you, for a better term, right? Um, and it all kind of he made was a much seaman. more. <laughs> it made a lot more sense, though. He was salty semen. He was a very salty <laughs> semen. Uh, <laughs> this semen is super salty, guys. Oh, <laughs> he's salty, salty semen. Now I'm just thinking about semen everywhere. Not that type of semen. So salty. So salty. So salty. <laughs> um, but when you when you hear his story about the the USS Indianapolis, mm-hmm. it makes a ton of sense why he hates sharks so much and right. why he's after them and why he's like the perfect guy for this fucking mm-hmm. job to a point of like um, excess. You know what I mean? Because. I mean, it's like a, the Moby Dick story. It really. Well, I mean, he dies the same way Moby Dick yeah. dies, basically. Well, the captain dies in Moby Dick. They, you Spoiler alert, I'm halfway through that book. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still stuck on the uh, 10 pages of the crack in the wall? Yes. Oh, man. I had a rough time getting through that part of the book. <laughs> Pretentious. But it made, you know, for me, that was my lock-in for that character. I could take him or leave him at first. Like, I really enjoyed, you know, his crassness and all that stuff. But then right when he gave that monologue, I felt like that was my lock-in. So that when that motherfucker died... I was like, no. Yeah, well, they had to do that. That was his humanity. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, and I mean, that that makes him vulnerable. Yeah. You know, from before, he's just this ironclad, old, crusty man. Right. And that totally opens him up. It really did, though. Yeah. And that's what I love the most about that. And it gets the audience to love this dude. Yeah. And then you listen to him differently after that moment, I feel, as an audience member. At least that's what I felt. Well, yeah. You you listen to him a little bit different. His intentions are a little bit better right but a little bit more obsessed i mean it was complicated it's like oh this guy's more intense <laughs> and nicer than i thought you know yeah. it kind of has that duality yeah that that the end of that you're just like all right you can be an asshole yeah. <laughs> okay you are allowed gotcha but yeah what's crazy about the uss indianapolis it didn't exactly happen how he said they weren't all taken out by sharks so actually it was a, a navy um, you know, a Navy vessel that yep. got taken out by two Japanese torpedoes in World right, War II. Right. Of the twelve hundred aboard, only between eight hundred and nine hundred survived the initial attack. Oh geez. So like between three and four hundred actually drowned. Damn. And because it was a covert mission and at the time they didn't necessarily have to log certain things, the Navy didn't really know that they were gone for days. In fact, they oh, didn't even shit. see it until they noticed some um oil spills and stuff around the area but those men were not rescued for five days 
And so they were out there for five days. So not all of them died from sharks. Some died from burns, dehydration, exhaustion. Some of them were getting so thirsty. They're like, fuck it. They started just drinking the water, which kills you. Yeah. Makes you more dehydrated and kills you. Some man, some men went swimming to some imaginary island because they were out of their mind. And then a lot of men were picked off by sharks where they Damn. were just, there were, I mean, the, uh, eyewitnesses, they couldn't count how many there were, but that was the other thing when they were the helicopters, when they were going over and they saw like the oil spill, they also saw those men just floating, holding on for dear life. And they saw all these fins swimming around. Um, wow. yeah. And at the end of all of this, now remember 1200s, we started with 1200, two Japanese missiles from a submarine took out three to 400 of them. So there's like eight to 900, 800 to 900 left of these men on day one. Mm-hmm. By day five, only uh, 316 survived. Jesus Christ. Yeah, man. Well, no wonder why there's so many sharks around them. Yeah, man. All those dead bodies yeah. floating yeah. around. And that was the thing. A lot of the sharks took some dead bodies, but other ones, you know, they would pick off men, you know, they would die from like, they obviously cause sharks, what they do is they test it. They test you first and do a little nibble. Right. But their teeth are so sharp that they just go through skin like tissue paper. Right. So to us, it's like, holy crap, I got bitten to them. It's like a little nibble. Yeah. Well, a little taste test, you know? (laughs) Um, And that was the one thing that did bother me, though. The start of the movie with the way the shark thrashed her around is not how it would really happen. Sure. But I guess you kind of have to suspend the disbelief for the the monster. It's good for the movie. Right. But like the fact is it would do that thing initially where she's like, Oh, Oh, you know, where it kind of like dunk her a little bit. Cause they're right. getting the nibble and then they just grab hold and take you wherever they're going. Right. But for the movie it worked, but for me, I'm like, that's not how sharks, <laughs> that's sharks not how do. it goes because I am terrified of sharks. I, that is one those and spiders are like my biggest fears. Really? Ter- and you know how they say, if you learn more about things, you're less afraid. That's bullshit. Because <laughs> it makes you more scared. 100%. Aww. Where they say that sharks have horrible eyesight. It's like, okay, so a fucking killer Mr. Magoo is in the water. That doesn't make me feel any better right. about this thing who thinks that I'm on a boogie board and I look like a seal. Yeah. Okay, get LASIK and quit like attacking me because you can't <laughs> see. Like That makes me more afraid because they don't know. Right. Like, they're like, mm, that's a thing. And the taste test is like, oh, well, there's blood. I'll eat it. Yeah. It's like, mm, it's fine. That's why I go in the ocean, but I don't go farther than what my feet can touch. Because I'm like, if I'm out there, I'll be able to see a fin. Ideally. Yeah, right. I'll be able to see a fin because I'm not out there that far. Right. When I see people way out there, I'm like, it's nice to know you, stranger. Yeah. You know, Bye. like, thanks for uh, being a human shield for me. Because <laughs> you'll be <laughs> first line of defense. First line of it. defense. And they're even saying some people back in the day used to swim if they saw a bunch of seals. People would be like, oh, seals are wonderful. They're nice. Stay away from them. That's the food source. Yeah, that's exactly that what's going to happen. the first place you're going to be attacked because seals can swim way faster than you, buddy. Yeah, exactly. You'll be the thing that helps them get away. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I'm terrified of sharks. I Even as a kid, if there was like a really deep pool, I'd be like, what's, what's down in there? Because, <sighs> I mean, a shark could get in here, right? Like, <laughs> somehow. I don't know. But as a kid, like, you don't know just, the difference. Yeah. I didn't know the difference. Right. I was terrified. I mean, now I guess al- like alligators could be in pools and they are like in Florida. So, which is terrifying. It's terrifying. In a different Can way. you imagine jumping into a pool and there's like an alligator on the bottom? With you're his like, mouth open. You're <gasps> like, oh, shit. Crazy. 
But no, I just, I, I think this movie is great in so many ways. And you're in their house. That's the thing. Yeah. Basically, the way I see the ocean, because it's their domain. Right. You're going to their house. It's like going to like this second, like steadfast, trigger happy, second amendment loving person's house <laughs> where you're just like, they have their gun loaded. Right. Don't accidentally, if your car breaks down, I hope you charge your cell phone. Don't go to this house that has the don't tread on me flag outside. Hey, brother. Like, you mind if you can call me some AAA? <laughs> it's the same thing where it's like someone who wants to do something. Right. You know, it's the same concept of going into their home. That's their home in, in the water. Right. Like you're trespassing. Well, what's interesting enough to me, like coming back to Jaws, you know, the fish himself yeah, or herself, whatever. It, itself. Itself. Yeah. Being light and Gary. It could be a girl. You don't That's know. That's what I see. Yeah, I figured, you know, I'm <laughs> give it equal opportunity. It is in Jaws for the revenge. <laughs> in SeaWorld. Uh, <laughs> um, but the first half of the movie, I really didn't feel bad for the shark. I was just like, he's just hungry. Yeah, he's just a shark. He's just a shark. He's just kind of doing his thing. You are basically in his house's refrigerator. Like, basically, you know, and I felt a, bad for the shark because it was kind of like, uh, you know, f- the a witch hunt for this fucking thing. That's just like, I'm just trying to live my life. It's like, did no one teach him in science class? This I'm is just, what I do. I'm just hungry. Because the first girl... Stupid drunk girl, which doesn't make any sense. A guy, was she drunk, though? Like, was she honestly drunk? I feel like that was. guy went over there and he just, like, whispered basically nothing. And she's like, ah, ha, ha, And she just ran off randomly. Which is weird. And then she just started taking off her clothes. And she's like, come in the water with me. And I'm like, Dawn okay. or whatever. Yeah, Dawn is worse when sharks feed the most. Uh-huh. Like, science tells me that's when they're looking around for their food. Right. So it's like. Mm, they were there for a long time then. Yeah. Because I didn't know, was this like right before sundown or this right before sun up? I think it was right before sun up. Shit. All right. They yeah, because it for seemed a while. like, yeah, when she was in the water for a while, it seemed like it was getting lighter. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me, too. But I didn't know. I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. So, but, but that's when they, that's, I mean, that's when they, they eat from what I've heard. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to the point, the, don't quote me on that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> ocean, ocean, people who study sharks. Uh, oceanographers? I was going to say that, but I'm like, that. Is that right? Marine biologists? There we go. That's, that's the word? way better. Bah. Um, Yeah, the first half of the movie, I didn't really care. I was just like, well, I mean, that's what you guys get. Yeah. So, okay. But then the second half of the movie, when they actually go on the hunt for this thing, um, that's when you know the sharks kind of be more vindictive. Yeah. You know, that's when the shark really kind of starts becoming having a mind of its own uh-huh. and starts toying, you know, with the uh, with the guys on the boat. And uh, yeah, then I was like, uh, OK, this motherfucker needs to die. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because now it's just fucking with him. So I was OK with with that process towards the second half of the movie, at least in my opinion. But the first half I was just like, let a shark be a shark, dude. Stop repressing it, bro. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame a shark at the beginning. Right. You just, you know, you just can't. Yeah, it's like if you name your daughter Mystique, she's going to grow up to be a stripper. It's like <laughs> sharks are going to eat people if you're in their water. It's Makes just sense. what happens. I hope there's somebody named Mystique at the house and you're just like, 
Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty so sure right. I offended people. First off, marine biologists are like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And yeah. then some mystique girl's like, I'm not a stripper. I'm an escort. I'm an, ex- <laughs> <laughs> I'm an exotic dancer. Jesus. <laughs> How dare you? Whoops. I was trying to think of something else, but Mystique, I'm like, Meh, that's Meh. you kind of roll the dice. Yeah. Honestly, you kind of do. Really? If you're going to name your kid Mystique. Yeah. yeah. Bastards. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway. Anywho. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it, it's just, it's kind of interesting that, uh, how big the shark was and that it stayed around that area. Cause that's very much not necessarily what they do. Right. They don't kind of linger at the scene of the crime. Well, the other thing too, maybe you're looking at. <clears throat> like if you look at it, so technically it's like factual. a this is not the episode so yeah a lot of corrections and omissions we could get i'm not a marine biologist man care. i'm just i'm just speculating i've been to sea world like six times that's all i'm banking any of this off of um you know the the shark's 25 you know 25 feet thousand pounds i said three tons three tons three tons know. or whatever that's a pretty shallow water for that fat piece of shit. Yeah. That's what my, that's what <laughs> my thought. Fat piece of shit. He's a big bone, Gary. <laughs> she is. That's <laughs> a lot of sushi. <laughs> um, but right, I mean, like, there's pretty damn shallow water for totally. for that fucking thing. So a tiny, like, tiny fin for something that big. Yeah, exactly. Was it overcompensating for something? It was probably. It's it's like, like, it's not tiny. fun of my fin. It's not <laughs> tiny. I don't have a little tail. It's not the size of your fin. It's how you use it. it jerks. <laughs> I don't have little teeth. I'll show them. Yeah. I'll show all of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love uh, the scene above the boat when the shark swims by. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, every time I'm like, oh, shit, because that gives you right, scale. The scale. Yeah. You know, because you only see a little bit in the movie. The shark, you only see the shark for four minutes of Total, the entire right? movie. Yeah. So to see just that scale, you're like. Oh no! Yeah, we are gonna need a bigger boat, you guys. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Sorry, we're in your house. My bad. We're just gonna chug I'm along this gonna, way. I'm just gonna go. We're uh, just gonna sit over here. We're gonna sing some maritime tunes, and we'll just go home in the morning. <laughs> so sorry, I don't wanna go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was one. And here's the thing: like uh, the writer, the 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 book. The writer of the book was basically saying, because at the very end, you know, Spielberg blows up the fucking shark, Mm. right? He blows up the goddamn shark. And uh, the way that the original book ends, it's like he gets harpooned and basically drowns the shark. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Not very fulfilling. And Spielberg was just like, we need to do something different. You know, Peter eventually was kicked off the set because he hated the climax. Oh, did he? Yeah. (laughs) Get out of here. I can see Steven Spielberg. You know what? You shut up. You're having a shark drown. Sharks are in the water. How can it drown? You get out of here. You know nothing. <laughs> Steven Spielberg is like, get the fuck <laughs> out of my face. He's like twitching. <laughs> Bruce has sunk to the bottom ocean five times a day. You want to pick today to fuck with me? Is this how is you want to go? <laughs> is this how you want this, this to happen? Really hot? Is this really what you want to do right now? No. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Spielberg came to him and said, look, this is what I want to do. And the guy goes, uh, tells him basically like that is that would never happen. That is not factual. That's never, you know, you can't blow things up that way. Sharks, that's such a shitty ending, basically. And Spielberg, I don't give a 
Fuck. <laughs> More than anything else. He oh, I'm was sorry. A... Did you think I was asking you? This is what I am yeah, actually I'm, doing. We I are am informing you. It. Up. This is called keeping you in the loop. Yeah, which is a privilege. Due to contract, I have to tell you this. <laughs> so, but basically, <laughs> so basically, so here we are. yeah. So here we are. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, courtesy. <laughs> right. Um, but the funny part was, was that as the, as, as Peter, 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 as he was basically, eventually, um, you know, get hearing about everything. Spielberg just basically told him like, look, we, we want to have this opportunity for the audience to just cheer by the very you end need of a this very thing. therapeutic moment. You After really this tension, do. you need the payoff. You need that big, that big boom of a payoff is what he was saying. And that's why I want to do that. And, you know, Peter fought it, fought it, fought it until he saw it and then realized like, you know what? I was wrong. Yeah. So he, you know, he admitted that, you know, as soon as you kind of have to suspend the disbelief. And and he said something that was interesting to me through the interview was that um, when you set up the world appropriately and you play by the world's rules that you set up, you can pretty much do whatever you want with them. Yeah. As right? long as you stay within, within the rules of the, the world ru- you created. Right. And I find Cause that's where, what throws people off in movies exactly. is when you, when you go against rules that you set up, exactly. then you can't suspend your disbelief because you're like, Whoa, based on what you've told me this whole time, this can't happen. Exactly. So he was okay with it at that point because he felt like that moment though was a bit big, uh, big and kind of uh, fanciful. Right, he was just like, it but the audience earned happen. it. The it audience earned that happen. moment. So because then, Spielberg's winding them so tight and tight and tight, and you just have this tension that you just need this release. Yeah, smile, you son of a bitch, and then <laughs> boom, he blows up. I'm like, it's so satisfying, even it if it would never happen in a million yeah. years. It's just so satisfying, and I think the thing that you can learn from a moment like that is like you don't know the right answers until you actually put it in front of people and see their type of reactions. All you can do when you're making stuff like this is just hope that what you're going to choose to do is going to be good. Mm. Right. And he thought that it wasn't going to pay off. He thought it wasn't going to work and then it ended up working extremely well. So not, uh, you know, not negating any option right out of the, right out of the gate. You know what I mean? Just make sure that you're, you're playing the game, setting up your world, allowing the things to happen within that world that work, you know, set up the rules yeah. and then give them a satisfying payoff by the very end mm-hmm. of it of what, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and you know, he kind of put his foot in, you know, insert foot in mouth. I think what was more respectable was that he took responsibility being like, you know, I was what? wrong. I was wrong. You're right. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I thought that was neat. He, even said though that he didn't do a lot of research on sharks before writing the book. Oh, really? and he even <laughs> said like, had he done research on sharks, he probably wouldn't have written the book. Oh, really? Because there's a lot of stuff in there that's not really factual sharks. Right, right. And you know, I like with Shark Week and other marine biologists kind of coming out. I think they keep trying to counteract a lot of the false facts from these movies. Uh huh. But man, it's a movie. Yeah, like, dude, I mean, you can't believe, man. No, we don't need cliff notes. Nah. We don't. You know, the the movie sets it up in a way where it's kind of an anomaly, where it's right. not normally in this spot. It's not normally here. I mean, it is really big for where they're at. Sure, things like that. So it's but like, how you many can, people actually know that? Well, but I'm saying they set it up in the movie like even the mayor's like this never happens. You know, they kind of make it seem like it's which means unique, it was bound to happen. Then. Which means exactly. 
That's my thought it's just, when you said that. You know, we live in a simple town, quiet people, hardworking people. And it's kind of ironic that you were saying that people didn't want to go into the water because the year after this came out, Amy, um, Amity Island went from having like 5,000 tourists the summer this movie came out to 15,000 the next summer. Dang. Because the, the area was now like famous. Eh, so good for tourism. <laughs> Yay. Great for tourism. Hooray for bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we close out, one of the things that I would love to talk about is just some of the film language used that is so Steven sure. Spielberg, man. I think the, the, the thing for me when you're thinking about a Steven Spielberg movie is his beautiful, beautiful constructions of shots in the scene. Yeah. Um, a lot of um, scenes outside of the water um were just at least in my opinion were constructed so well and if if you if anybody's listening to this that it's out there you know thinking about being a director study Steven Spielberg movies not because of you know because you have to and you want to jerk him off but really understand and study how he sets pacing in a scene mm-hmm. right how does the camera move he has such a wonderful way you know when the boyfriend or the guy that was having was a Passed out drunk on the yeah. ocean in the very beginning, right? Um, the next, the next beat is he's you know they find the dead body, and now they're doing the the report, and he's standing or he's sitting in the police office, and he's in the foreground, right? And our focus is on him, right? This girl that he was supposed maybe he knew, maybe he didn't, yeah. Basically, he's dead, and he just saw something that he probably wished he never would have yeah, seen. That will stay and with the him for the rest of his life. The entire focus is on that kid, yeah. right? But in the background, there's a whole scene going on. Yeah. You know, the 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 secretary comes in; she's talking to another one of the deputies, and blah 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 is going on. And then she moves, so she becomes our point of focus. And the camera pans over and then pushes into Brody, who's typing on mm-hmm. on the typewriter. And then she's standing, and it's like a beautiful frame, and it's all happening. This whole scene is like maybe two minutes long maybe a little bit longer and it moves so smoothly and he does this throughout the entire film right and for me it's such a wonderful way to to smooth out a scene because now you know you watch things that feels like an mtv music video it's like pop 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 cut 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 blah 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 you know insert insert blah blah you know uh mediums close-up wides all this stuff where he's kind of designing these shots to flow so smoothly but then uses really great cutting techniques for instance where he actually he's at the beach with his family right he knows about this shark attack he's not supposed to say anything everybody's at the beach everybody's having a good yeah. time and he's nervous right it's it opens pretty pretty chaotically with the cutting right with the pacing and the music starts to kind of come in and his wife's trying to you know everything will be fine you'll be good you know these people are having a good time it was one instance yada 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 but then you know you have uh the, the kids playing and it's like cut 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 to kind of build that anxiety mm. um you know all these people are coming up to talk to him and you kind of see his point of view throughout the entire scene and it's such a beautiful way to go from something that's so smooth to some sort of like staccato way yeah. the very kinetic style of editing to give us a, a different sense of anxiety in the yeah, moment 100%. especially from his point of view uh-huh. you know what i mean and i think what i love the most about his visual language is that there is so much going on in the frame 
right? They, they, they call it, they call it the mezzanine. What's happening in the actual frame. Um, if the camera's just panning over, everybody is doing something. Yeah. There's not just fucking it's people a living, breathing standing world. around uh-huh. or anything like that. There, there's always something happening. People in the, the city, frame. exactly outside the they're window, they're buying something there. There's always a story being told yeah. whether they're, they're, their principle or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something very beautiful to pay attention to when you're thinking about um, structuring your shots and figuring out, okay, well, what's happening in this moment, you know? So for me, I think it's a really great study in figuring out, okay, well, how can I tell many stories within the bigger uh-huh. story as yeah. much as I possibly can? He's a, he's a master at it, obviously. Oh yeah. And I'll jerk him off, you know, whatever. Uh, because he, he does he such a worth great, at least one handy. <laughs> yeah. At l- one, at least <laughs> all the handies, all the handies in the world you get. Yeah. yeah and I love it. And I want to, you know, stress how important story was to this and characters was yeah. to this because you see all these other movies where there's some creature or some animal that's killing people. And the focus is, just on the animal right and the the characters just really aren't given three dimensions so who cares right at this point you're just waiting for them to die like a friday the 13th or whatever you're just like you are just in line to be killed right why do i care Mm -hmm. whereas this movie it's like no this is a town to die you don't yeah you absolutely do not want any of them to die you Mm -hmm. know and it's really about these people taking their different kind of, they have their own shit mm-hmm. and everyone with their own shit coming together to try and solve this problem. Right. Everyone has their own motivations. You get them. They're not like, I'm the evil mayor. See, like there's hints of things, but yet there's his redemption. Whereas like, right. my kid was there. They humanize everybody in this movie. They do. And right. that's so important. And that's why when I'm like, why is it so hard for shark movies to be anywhere near this? Cause I haven't seen one. I heard right. the shallows good, but that's still, I, I saw the shallows this weekend. A shark. I watched the shallows this it? weekend. You know, there was, was it's campy but yet it was it was okay yeah i plan on seeing it but i don't my hopes aren't high but even you look at the other jaws movies and it's like everything they did right story-wide wise in the first one Uh just falls to the wayside in the other ones you have the second one where it's like another shark is franchised it and like Amity Island. Oh no, with Brody. Right. And then you have the third one with Dennis Quaid at like a Sea World, right. where they have like a lagoon where it has some cool action pieces. But for one, the 3D looks horrible. horrible. It looks awful. But also, it's still. I mean, everyone takes a back seat to right. to this shark. You know, the coolest scene in there was when they had the skiers and they're on the the triangle uh-huh. where they're on each other's shoulders skiing. Like that was cool. I was in San Diego and they got attacked. Was it? Yeah, yeah. That looked cool, but it's all back seat. Right. And then you have Jaws four. The Revenge, which I don't understand how this was made. How many times are they going to blow up the same shark? But do you remember the story for Jaws 4? No, I, I didn't just see Jaws 4. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I stopped at SeaWorld, dude. It's amazing in the fact that it's awful. So here's the story. Oh, God. You know, Chief Brody's dead. Okay. It's the mom. She's still traumatized because I think at the start of that one, one of her kids is like a police chief and he's trying to get something unhooked or whatever out like on a buoy and he's eaten by a shark. Okay. And so the mom's like the same mom's like, oh, 
like freaking out because her family's been like I think they insinuated that Brody died from like just two sharks was too hard on his heart so he like died and so yeah it's dumb so she is like traumatized by it and her daughter-in-law or whatever is like let's go down to the Bahamas to get away from all this shit just go on vacation and she meets like Michael Michael Caine is down there um, Uh and she there's kind of a romantic thing where he wants to be with her whatever here's the thing so the the shark from up in uh, you know Amity Island basically uh, follows them down to the Bahamas to kill the family because that's what, their like an actual like 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 it knows like it knows like it's supposedly the same shark which only means how does it know so here's my theory so I think what happened is the shark in the middle of the night so no one would notice got on land and went on tippy toes and snuck through the town went into the house Dug in her trash to find her flight itinerary, GPSed that shit, tippy toe got back into the water, and swam down to the Bahamas where they were Jesus staying. Jesus Christ. And honestly, people, if you can come up with another reason why a shark <laughs> would know how to get down to the Bahamas, I am all ears. Because I don't know how this spot... For one, there's more than one shark in the ocean. Like, I don't think it's the same, but somehow they it, determined it was the same shark. And you have Mario Van Peebles with a horrible Caribbean accent. That's like, I don't think that's a real accent anywhere, dude. Um, And you have Michael Caine, who I'm pretty sure his character was actually a drug runner because Uh he had his own private plane. Like, pretty sure he smuggled drugs. Nice. Um, But yeah. So, and Michael Caine's even like, they're like, what do you think of the movie? He's like, I think about me a nice house. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what he said? (laughs) So good for him. But it's just this, you go from this amazing AFI top 100 movie to a movie about a shark with a vendetta who knows how to travel to the Bahamas. We've seen it so many times, man. That's what happens when you just, you take a good property and you're like, well, let's make more money off of it. And then you dilute a really great fucking film. And actually, I take it back one thing. There was one good shark based movie other than this and that was the first open water but that open was water was pretty i was, liked open water i was so uncomfortable in the theater because yeah, it's not too. even about really sharks it's about just being lost well, one just survival yeah you're out it there just so happen to have sharks they don't know that you're not on the boat so no one's right. out looking for you what happens right. and it's there are little sharks and that's terrifying. Right. And they were actually there, which is more terrifying. Right. If I was an actor, I'd be like, you want me to what? No. You know what? I'm going to call my agent, get somebody else. No, no, no. They were just attached. Their feet were attached to the boat oh. for where they're shooting. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. You know what? Pass. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Oh, those shark bites were actually real shark bites? Fuck you. Yeah. I don't even... I was I lived in Greece for a while and I went on this volcano tour. Santorini was my island and there was like a volcano off site. Uh-huh. And... There near there was another island that had hot springs where you could swim from the boat to the hot springs and just sit in the hot springs. Uh-huh. And people were diving from the boat and going there. And I was like, what about sharks? And the guy, the, you know, the, the, the captain of the boat's like, well, they're, you know, hardly ever. It's very rare are there ever sharks. And I'm like, so sometimes there are sharks. He's like, no, That's no, no. But me. like almost never. I'm like, you're not saying never, though, is the thing. I'm like... There's still a chance. Yeah. I am. No, thank you. Like, I guess I'm just going to be hanging out. Yeah. With you, buddy. I, so I stand on the boat the whole time. The whole. I'm not. 
He said there's almost never, which means how far was at it some time. How far was the place? Like 50 yards swim. I don't care. It's water. I'm in their house. We've established this. Aww. There, There's very few sharks in Greece, but they're there. And then even when we, when we went on the volcano. So you missed out on a really good opportunity. No, I'm, I'm good. You know what? I've been in a hot tub. I know how hot springs feel. I'm okay. <laughs> I don't need to swim in the ocean to hot springs in potentially shark-visited waters. All right. And then we got in the volcano, and they're like, oh, by the way, after we're on it, they're like, oh, by the way, it's still active. I'm like, the fuck are we still doing on this then? Yeah, it could blow at any <laughs> moment. <laughs> Who's keeping track of this? Well, it hasn't erupted in about <laughs> 3,000 years. So. It only erupts every 3,000 years. When was the last time? 3,999 years. 3, days <laughs> yeah, years right. ago. And what? 364 days. <laughs> yeah. What? And it's like, <laughs> you sons of bitches. <laughs> no refunds. Yeah, yeah. I paid money for this. Yeah, that's pretty funny, though. Yeah, my wife really wants to go. Um, you know, she's like, let's go snorkeling. I'm like, mm. <laughs> like no. She's like, let's go scuba diving. I'm like, mm. I don't think you so. You want me even deeper with those I'll guys? I'll watch you. I'll watch you get eaten. How about that? <laughs> All right. Um, I will tell your family that you fought valiantly. I will tell your family you flailed wonderfully. <laughs> All right. She flailed like a ballerina. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll probably do it with her, but I, I don't want to. Yeah, that's love right there. Yeah, I'll go. I'll try it out because maybe I'll miss out on a good opportunity. Maybe I do see a shark. You know what I mean? And I mean, you honestly, Gary, how many times have you crapped your pants in the ocean? It could be a once in a lifetime opportunity. That's what I was thinking. You know that. <laughs> my, and that might scare part, it off. This is this is the thing for me though. I don't want to go scuba diving because my chunky ass looks like a fucking seal <laughs> if they squeeze me into a damn fucking wetsuit. You know what I mean? Like there, there's no denying that that thing is gonna look at me and go, "That fat piece of fucking ass." There is a seal. There's a seal. What's a seal doing next to a human? Yeah, like that's weird. Are we friends? I don't care. Rubbing its eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm that looks eat like a seal anyway. to me. Yeah, right? So that's my worry. You know what okay. I mean? So lo and behold, I guess. That's so funny. So well, we agree that this AFI 100? Yeah, dude. Easy, man. And I think out of all of them, this is it's great. It's great. I mean, even even to, to the point of like, let's take it out of the shark genre of things. It's just a good thriller. It's a good thriller. It's, it's a, a good drama. Drama, exactly. Good character piece. It shows you can make a blockbuster movie and not have to make it so generic <sighs> and lifeless. Jesus Christ, right? Because there's so much heart in this movie. Even if Steven Spielberg's brain almost exploded by the very end of this, I'm grateful that he made it because yeah, it's very entertaining. It's it's a phenomenal movie. It's, I agree. Uh, it's the human spirit. It's yeah. like the will. You know, right. the ultimate. You know, the, I mean, the movie is like a metaphor for him making the movie. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> yeah, know? totally. It's like for Apocalypse Now, this is his Heart of Darkness documentary, you know, uh -huh. like of all the shit they had to go through. Which, again, you know, coming back to the AFI list, man, you know, all those movies on there, these directors, these people that have made these movies, they've given everything yeah. that they had, all or nothing type of movies for these people, which makes me think, I don't know, do you know? The, the the next few ones we have are like Apocalypse Now and some of those things, mm -hmm. all or nothing movies for these people. Yeah, you know. So yeah. I'm excited. Cool. I'm excited for some of that stuff. But so yeah, Jonesy? I'm on the same. I'm the same boat. What's making you hard, Jonesy? What's making me hard this week? Uh, I've been. I'm on the last few episodes of Luke Cage. I love it so far. You know, 
it's funny that you say that because I enjoy it. I don't uh, think I love okay. it. Okay, I'd right? probably go there. Like, I do enjoy it. I like what they're doing. I think some of the social commentary is a little heavy-handed. Yeah, it's a little bit in your face. A little bit heavy-handed, but I think it's, I mean, it's an all-wonderful black cast. Uh-huh. You know, some really great, great um, history going on it's in like Harlem. An, it's like an urban superhero story that is be treated with respect. Right. It's not your meteor but I, man. But I feel sometimes it's a little it's too it's much. Too much. It's bordering too much to where it's like I feel like it's it's hitting on social commentary, but it's like Do you feel it takes itself a little bit too seriously? I do. Because so many times they play his theme song and he walks triumphantly with his back and his head held high. Uh-huh. The, uh, and it's like kind of this like shaft. Like swagger type of. I do feel of. there's like there's a bit of me, and don't hate me out there, but I'm just like so. Basically, he's the new Shaft. I felt that there's way so many times. Just, I just want him to go Shaft. You damn right. Thank you. Like whenever, That's what it felt like whenever anyway. he's walking away triumphantly or a moral victory with that theme song music as uh-huh. he's walking, I'm like that Shaft. There's a bit of me. I'm just like, is just that talking about Shaft? Well, you know, he you know he walks away from a lot of things in this movie, and I'm just like, is he moving in slow motion? Yeah, he, you know, you know, he feels like he's just moping around everywhere. <laughs> I mean, again, like I like the guy, Michael yeah. Coulter. He's doing a great, great job. job for Luke Cage. Perfect. I really, really enjoy, you know, a lot of this stuff. But there's certain things that I'm just like, eh. but to which end there was a couple of parts in this sh- in the series that just completely went left because I don't know shit about Luke Cage. I don't know anything about the story. I know I a little. Know, I don't know anything like about when, where the character came from, but there was some twists yeah. in this season oh, yeah. that I was just like, say what? Where did that come from? <laughs> uh-huh. You know? So to be honest with you, it's rather entertaining and I do enjoy the social commentary that's happening. I do feel it becomes a little heavy handed. Some of the dialogues too expositional totally. to where I'm just like, really? It's pretty preachy. But you know who I absolutely love in this fucking Ooh. show is uh, Diamondback. Diamondback's an interesting character. He's mm-hmm. a he's a fucking ringer for yeah, uh, man. Uh, what the hell, Samuel L. Jackson? Totally. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's some looks he that he has in those eyes. And I was oh my like, god, oh, he chew- he enjoyed the shit out of that character. Um, no, 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 no. The the nurse. <laughs> oh, uh, Rosario Rosario Dawson. Dawson. She's, She's like the conduit so great, for all man. the Netflix. Uh, Marvel movies is she or shows is she cause is she in Jessica Jones too uh-huh okay, well okay cool. so spoiler alert for people who haven't seen Jessica Jones so in Daredevil she's the nurse that right. sews him up right I remember that in Jessica Jones uh, when Luke Cage is under that mind control or whatever from Kill whatever Kilroy Kill Kilroy yeah I something don't like you. that uh, when he, when he was under the mind control Jessica Jones put the shotgun under uh, Luke Cage's head and shot it, uh-huh. which messed him up. And when he was in the hospital, she took care of him. Uh, okay. So she was, she's like, I guess she's going to be the character that's in. Also, I'm assuming she'll be in um, Iron Fist, which is the fourth one that comes out next year. Huh. Um, but yeah, she's great. Yeah, she, I like her character, man. I haven't seen all. I mean, I've only seen half of Jessica Jones. That's all you need to see. Yeah, and here's I- why I like Luke Cage a lot and I appreciate it is I feel like finally these Marvel shows they're figuring out how to make the story last because I hated the first season of Daredevil. Foggy really? Foggy is the character the t- the character in a TV show that I hate the most out of any show ever. Wow. I cannot stand him in the first season. He was better in the second season and I love I John Barenthal as the Punisher. 
perfect choice. But Daredevil, the second season, the first half of it's phenomenal, and then it just kind of craps out. And same thing with Jessica Jones, where the first part's very promising, but I feel like they didn't realize they'd get twice as many episodes as they thought they were going to get because it just felt like they were treading water where it's just the same shit every episode. Gotcha. So this, I mean, I think I'm on episode 11, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, the fact that they've been able to sustain a story and build on it, I appreciate that where I'm like, maybe now they're getting, because Marvel's always been top notch for film. And I'm like, maybe now Marvel's figuring out TV TV. finally. Because I watched the whole first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I tried to watch a a couple episodes of the second season. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? I'm not having fun. (laughs) It's not fun. I didn't care for To be honest with you, I really didn't want to like Luke Cage. Like, I watched the pilot because I don't want to like all that stuff because Mm. there's so much of it. And I'm like, but these are all different takes. They're, They're smaller scale. Yes, but it's still 13 hours of my life. Yeah. That's my point. Uh-huh. You know, and if I like Luke Cage, then I got to go back and watch season two of Daredevil. You don't. And then, you know, then I'm going to want to see Jessica Jones. And then you I'm going to be like, well, there it goes six months, you know, and I don't want to do that. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I'll watch the second season because I'm curious, but you don't need to see Jessica Jones. No, oh, all right. I only watch probably maybe the first half. I tell people if they haven't seen any of Daredevil, I say don't watch the first season. Skip to the second. Really? Because other than... Uh, I didn't mind the first season. I Kingpin was, was phenomenal, but the main three protagonists are boring as shit. Yeah. All they do is mope and drink. Mm. And honestly, if I see one more... One more story about the best friend being butthurt that their friend didn't tell them they're a superhero story. I'm going to lose my mind. If I was a superhero and I didn't tell you, wouldn't you be sad? I would be stoked when I found out. I'd be like, that's cool as shit. I wouldn't be like, I thought we were close, man. Uh, that's I thought true. we were close. Yeah, I'd been like, stop being a bitch, dude. <laughs> I can like punch you from here to the moon. Like, stop whining. So it's interesting, but you're right. I do feel there's a lot of shaft moments. Yeah. There's a lot of moral victory moments with the music there's sure. a lot of a lot of black history to it right and i mean i'm like i'm okay with yeah that and i'm stuff, totally though. like right on with all that because it's <laughs> that's our white guilt kicking in just being yeah. like and we're okay with all of that no it's but just it's good though it's it's so actually really some of the nice. production i like the narrative yeah and i like what they're doing i like the spin i love uh what's her name alfie woodward or Woodruff, yes, I love uh, her. She's great, excellent in yeah. this. I totally underestimated her character at the start of the season, and she's grown to be like, like, oh, that's how you got powerful. Like mm-hmm. that's opportunistic. Yeah, you know, that's a she's pulling the strings. Yeah, she's um, like, dang girl. But I, I really do like it. But for me, it's more of there's some production choices, like yes, the shaft moments and things. Yeah. That's where I'm kind, I'm thrown out. Of, of the total enjoyment or I'm like, right. again, well, I think, you know, to that point, you know, there's moments where like he's lifting one of the guys up in like uh, Jackie Robinson Park, you know, and he's, you know, basically saying this, we said that know, thing about the building, and about the building. The yeah, you know, and I think like, what was the name of that, of the, the uh, railroad worker from the short from Pixar that your wife said the name of the guy? I can't remember. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Watching the show, I'm like, there's a lot of those moments where he's the strong man trying to, like, you know, persevere. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the same time, you know, again, it's like social commentary where 
you know, you you have a generation where people feel entitled and then you have this character coming in teaching them like there's no school like the old school. Yeah. You know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with getting your hands dirty and going to work and respecting your home. You know, you don't have to. You, there's nothing wrong with being a barber. There's nothing you know, you don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to make it's not always about the money. He just wanted to be left alone. He really did. He just wanted to live a life, man. Yeah. You know, so all in all, I recommend it if you like this type of stuff. You know, it's it's very interesting to see. There's not very many shows with with this type of cast. You know, and I yeah, think thank it's, God. I think it's great. You know, that they're doing something like this. Mm-hmm. So I mean, take it for what it is. Yeah, more than anything. And else. I think if you like the other Marvel Netflix partnership shows, like this stuff, I think you'll like it more. Sure, just because, like I said, I think it sustains an actual projection of story longer than the others. The others right. kind of stall out. Gotcha. Where I think this one it does. I mean, would you agree? It kind of builds. Yeah, I I yeah, feel. I, I don't well, feel I'm like it's sucked, well. I got sucked into it. The yeah. first episode, I was like, meh. All right, I'll watch the second episode, <laughs> and then now I'm already on episode like ten. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't feel like they ever are treading water. I feel like each episode builds off on of each the other. other. Well, what they do also really well is like certain episodes have a lot of good cliffhangers. Yeah. And there's been some pretty good twists, I feel, mm-hmm. towards this. And they don't hint at them very easily, yeah. which I think a lot of other shows, you know, on primetime, like you kind of know that that motherfucker's in on it. You yeah. know that that person's going to yeah. do something fucked up. Some of these things that kind of happen kind of just happen out of the blue, mm-hmm. just out of pure like primal instinct and i'm like that's fucking cool because i did not see that shit coming Mm -hmm. and i'm always looking for it you know yeah and i love what you know there's a conundrum always when it comes to superman is like how powerful do you make them to the point where it's like does is there any real risk than anything happening and i love the way that they this guy who's bulletproof yeah i love how they how he's vulnerable it's not just in the physical it's just I, i thought that was really great problem solving totally agree with you yeah so Cool. What about you, man? What's making me hard? Besides me. Boobs. Nice. This month is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh Uh-huh. And I just, you know, I feel like everyone's affected. Well, everyone's affected by it. Everyone knows somebody or knows somebody who's been affected by that and family. Maybe I'm very fortunate. I don't know. You don't know anybody who has family that has had breast cancer? I know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. But I, it's pretty far removed from me right now. Well, that's good. That's very fortunate. Very, you very know, much because so. cancer yeah. is a, a big, you know, a big deal. Uh, totally. Cancer affects Pancreatic a lot of people. Pancreatic cancer, mm-hmm. different story. Oh, totally. My father-in-law's had it. And yada yada yada. Well, the studies show that one in two men have some form of cancer some point in their life. Which is terrifying. Fuck you. So yeah, so we're at the table. There's we're at the two table of us. right now. So it's probably me though. You're way too good with your well, you know what though? That's just it's probably the gonna irony be is gonna be yeah. you. You I, worked way too hard someone, for not yeah, to get cancer. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's such a good thing to say. You work way too hard not to get cancer. I've never smoked cigarettes and Ever. I'll get lung cancer. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> I've done a lot of drugs and I've lived to 115. But what so the reason why I'm bringing it up, like I said, it's breast cancer awareness month, but I really like a lot of the marketing that they're that they do for awareness i think that it's you know it's really important to kind of get it out there because yeah it's boobs so it's kind of like you know in this puritan based country that uh-huh. or puritan founded country it's like oh no the boobs and the nipples and so it's something that 
back in the day, people didn't talk about as openly. Right. And the marketing used to be stupid, to be honest with you, where, uh, where like on Facebook, they would say red or mm-hmm. green and you found out, Oh, that's their, their viral way of trying to be like, whatever color your bra is, put it on Facebook and all these like gimmicky stuff where you're like, how does that help? If you're being vague, how yeah, does that, how's help that the honor cons? what this is? So yeah. I feel like every year, um, there's different creative ways to just get the dialogue talking. Sure. Because I think that helps action, you know, that helps fundraisers, that helps all the stuff. And I, I just, I, you know, so that excites me when I see, I mean, obviously it's something year round, but it excites me when you see marketing really pull behind something that's important. Totally. And I think that that's, that's awesome. So Agreed. it's very cool to see that. And I want to see more of it and I want to save, save those boobies. Save people's lives because honestly, you know, when it comes with research with a lot of cancers, they, they say we're so close to finding ways to kind of nip it in the bud earlier yeah. without having to go through horrible chemo and all that stuff. And well, just people don't like going to the hospital. So they catch everything so goddamn yeah. late. Yeah. Well, like I probably yeah. am riddled with cancer right now. I haven't mm-hmm. been to the doctors in like 10 years. Yeah. That's what they're, I mean, kind of, we're not wrapping it back to dudes cause we're dudes, but they're saying a lot of guys don't regularly go to the doctor. Like women go for pap smears and things right. like that. And I think this helps open dialogue to then talk about, cancer in general or talk right. about different things. And as long as we're talking about it, you know, that's forward movement to hopefully finding a solution for it. Totally. So anyway, that's what I want to talk about. So plugs, what plugs you got? Uh, you can reach me at Hey Jonesy, uh, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys want to follow my shenanigans on Instagram, I'm just basically sharing my travels this week. We went to, uh, Arizona to nice. visit How my was brother. That? It was pretty good. It was, it was a little hot the first, couple days we were there and then it cooled off the last day but um we went to this place called little miss barbecue and i bought a 2.2 pound beef rib (laughs) it was amazing (laughs) so you know i share stuff about you know where what i'm doing Uh, hanging out hiking whatever that's the real jonesy right uh yeah the real jonesy um and uh, we're going to be screening Time Out at the L.A. Comedy Fest, October 22nd. It's a Saturday at 6.30. Um, if you guys want to check it out. Uh, awesome. L.A. Comedy Festival dot com. Dot com. Check it out. Cool. So for me, uh, for Periscope and Twitter, it's the Noah Kinsey. Mm. For Instagram, it's Noah Kinsey. And for all UFR needs, we have the website, UFRpodcast.com. .com, Twitter and Instagram, both UFR podcast as well nice. as Facebook. So come on there. Uh, make sure to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, both on Instagram and Twitter. We have the links for the giveaway. So we gave away the poster that should be in the mail soon. Nice. And next week, winner? You remember? Uh, I do not remember the name, but we have it oh, somewhere. We have it somewhere. I know. Around here. Somewhere floating in the ethers. All but right. They well. will, whoever that is out there, you will get a poster. It'll you be win. a surprise. You win. Ta-da. Next, we're giving away the first four seasons of Robot Chicken. That's it. That's all right. Yeah. No, that's exactly right, actually. That was uncanny. I'm like, is it on or something? (laughs) Uh, It's a TV up in the corner. But we have other stuff coming. You know, we have uh, comic books, a lot of comic books. We Uh, have movie tickets. Movie tickets. We have a lot of stuff stuff coming out. So if you sign up for the giveaway, even if you don't win this time, you're entered for all the future contests. Yay. So other than that, next week, 
12 Angry Men. Nice. Sydney Lumet. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Well, thank you, Jonesy. Thank you, brother. We'll see you guys next week. We out. Thank <laughs> you.